Who remembers the uh, first message on heaven and hell? Probably not many people because it was two weeks ago. Um, and I'm not going to go back over it terribly much other than to just quickly throw up a slide which shows us the, the biblical view of heaven and hell and, and what our, our progression into either of those two um, dimensions are. We were made in the image of God. Everybody okay with that? The presence of sin and death in the world has changed things so that in our present age, we either are zombies because we're the living dead, or we have eternal life because we have accepted the sacrifice that Jesus made on the cross and accepted eternal life. And both of these things are not just pie in the sky in the future, you're going to hell when you die, or you're going to heaven when you die. You are actually walking in eternal life or living death right here, right now. And the direction of your life is determining right here, right now, which of those you are doing. And after physical death, there's what's called an intermediate state, if we're being theological. Um, going to heaven is the layman's term for it. Um, and you're either in heaven with Christ or you're in the grave. And the Bible doesn't say anything about the grave except to call it the grave. And you're, you're in it. And that's it. So no, no explanations there. But we do know that when Jesus returns in the age to come, uh, there, will, there will be a resurrection for all people. And then there will be a determination whether people are with God or separated from God. And so this is a bit different from our traditional view of uh, people dying, our spirits leaving our body and going to heaven or hell and our body crumbling to dust and that's the end of that. Um, that's not actually what the Bible teaches us. And uh, the reason it teaches us I think is important before, I'm actually going to talk about heaven and earth this morning. Hell gets a miss. So that's next week. So bring your friends along next week because we'll, I will be giving them hell. Um, and, you know, the funny thing is, hell is a place that people want to go. We often think of hell as the horriblest, worst place, but there are, hell was created because people want to go there. I'll leave, I'll leave you with that one. Anyway, heaven and earth. The, the idea of heaven is, is a strange one. We, we, we think of it as a, as a, as a God dimension. Um, and we have this idea that to... to enter heaven or to interact with heaven, uh, we can only do that as spiritual beings. And there's this whole Greek philosophy idea that separates us out into two distinct parts. And, and part of that's true. And if we look in Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, it says, Then the Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground. He breathed the breath of life into the man's nostrils, and the man became a living person. Then the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he placed the man he had made. So humans are made of two things, dirt and divine breath. Now the divine breath, the, the Hebrew word for that is ruach. Beautiful word. Did I have a slide for that? Well, yes, I did. Right. So ruach is the, the breath of life that, uh, that makes all of us alive. And so dirt and divine breath makes a living being, human being. And, and the term for that is nefesh. We'll say nefesh. Isn't that a great ring to that? Nefesh sounds sort of like dangerous. Um, and the interesting thing is that if you look at most people's translations of nefesh, you get the word soul. And that combined with Greek philosophy tends to imply to us that we are human beings with a soul. 
and that we are, we are somehow separate because of this idea that you know, we're dirt and divine breath. The idea that our soul can leave our body and that's part of God's plan is, is built into our culture in a long, lot of ways. But it's very badly translated as soul. It's actually the individual. Humans do not have souls. Humans are souls. And you've got to take that the right way. <laughs> I just, just realised that that sounded quite different when I said it than when I read it. <laughs> Human beings, yeah, okay. Well, hopefully you got the meaning of that because I'm not saying that one again. <laughs> so the idea of our soul not being an immaterial part of us uh, is essential to the understanding of the biblical concept of heaven and how we interact with it. So God's plan is not that we be separated from our, our souls <laughs> at death. Um, because, and we know this because we, we got a purpose, Genesis 2.15 says the Lord God placed the man in the Garden of Eden to tend and to watch over it. So we're created in the image of God and the life of an image bearer is to tend the creation of God. And that's and we're called to nurture God's creation. That's the life of an image bearer. And if you read the Bible, the life of the image bearer lasts about three pages before we stuffed it up. And then the rest of the Bible is actually about the death of the image of God. And we discussed uh, last time how death in the Bible is a lot broader than, than the way we think of it. And it's important to understand what the Bible's talking about. Because Adam and Eve's eating of the forbidden fruit started a chain reaction of deaths. The first death was a relational death. Genesis 3.8 says, When the cool evening breezes were blowing, the man and his wife heard the Lord God walking about in the garden. So they hid from the Lord God among the trees. And the Lord God called to the man, where are you? He replied, I heard you walking in the garden, so I hid and I was afraid because I was naked. So shame had entered the lives of human beings and their relationship with each other and with God, of course, had changed forever. So that was our, our relationship with God had taken a dive. If you read your Bible, you will find that that particular passage when uh, the man replies, I heard you walking in the garden, is the first time that the word I has been used to describe human beings as separate from God. We assumed an identity which was not a godly identity when we became I, because it then became us and them, him and us. Um, and so there was a separation there. The second thing that of course occurred was a spiritual death because we were, we were spiritually one with God. And in Genesis 3.22, we find that the Lord God says, look, the human beings have become like us, knowing both good and evil. What if they reach out, take fruit from the tree of life and eat it? Then they will live forever, in brackets, in their corrupted state. So the Lord God banished them from the Garden of Eden and he sent Adam out to cultivate the ground from which he'd made. Basically, God, like the Godfather said, you're dead to me. And he banished them from the Garden of Eden. So there was a spiritual death. We are cut off from God's spirit because he cannot exist in the same place as sin and rebellion. So we have separated spiritually. And then, of course, there's a physical death. That didn't happen straight away, but it's still there. Uh, Genesis 3.19, God says to Adam, By the sweat of your brow you will have food to eat until you return to the ground from which you were made. For you were made from dust, and to dust you will return. So there's a physical death here, and, and death isn't our friend. Death in God's world is the enemy. Uh, it's not how things are supposed to end. It's an invader in God's good world, and we need to think of it that way. 
So each of these definitions of death cause a separation, or, or if you want to use a good biblical word, a schism. You like that word? Separation, okay. Um, which is actually not acceptable to God. God accepted that these things had to happen, but they're not part of his plan and they're not, definitely not what he wants to happen. And so the rest of the Bible is the story of God's plan to actually close up those gaps and to sort of remove the, the schisms that we have between us and God. And so I want to quickly run through uh, the biblical passage of how our interaction with heaven was meant to happen and how it actually has been repaired and is being repaired as we speak uh, as part of God's plan. So Jesus' death and resurrection have put us on the path of eternal life by restoring our spiritual and our relational separation from the kingdom of God. So it's the, the promise of restoring our, our nefesh or soul at the final resurrection in God's new creation. And guess what? As a soul, we will have a physical body. It will be a new and transformed body, but we will not be floating on clouds, playing harps. Or, or, or the other vision of heaven, uh, which I think frightens most Christians, is the fact that heaven is an eternal church service. Where we're singing praises to God with our arms in the air for eternity. I mean, most of us have trouble with three minutes. And so the idea that, because and, and it talks about you know, the, the eternal worship of God in the Bible, and, and I think we get fixated on the idea that as soon as we get to heaven, it's like you're in uh, pew four, row three, at the back, start praising now. If you don't, and if you don't know the words, I bet you there's no screens in heaven. And so we've got these weird pictures of what heaven is like and, and, and what hell is like. So if heaven and hell are present realities, where and what is heaven? And how do, we, how do we interact with heaven? Do we interact with heaven? If it's not just a spiritual dimension, and we've, we've taken on board this, strata, this trajectory that has, means we've accepted God's gift of eternal life, so we're living presently in eternal life, how do we actually interact with heaven? So let's look, let's look at heaven. So if we look at the first slide, we've got this picture. There's heaven and there's earth. And we recognise earth, there's mountains and streams and trees and stuff like that. Heaven's a bit of a mystery to us. We, we know that there are, uh, we actually know that there's um, all sorts of different things in heaven, including um, things like uh, cherubim and seraphim. And, you know, we think of cherubim as small children, but they've actually got bodies of lions and they can probably kill you with a glance. So they're not as innocent as we like to make out. But we've got this, this picture, there are two dimensions. Heaven is the God dimension and earth is our dimension. And we, we look at them as, as separate. Uh, but when it comes to how we interact with each other, we see that in the next slide, we, there's a bit of an, an, inter, an interaction, but most of it's when we die. That, you know, when we're dead, we just hop over into God's dimension. And, uh, and that's the end of it. There's a, there's a bit of interaction in the middle, and we, we read about that in the Bible. It's like when uh, God intervened at the crossing of the Red Sea, and the, the, the waves parted, and when we see miracles happen. And, but we, we tend to ignore that as, as some sort of special or different event. And yet, the Bible talks very little about the... <laughs> diving into heaven bit, and talks an incredible amount about the overlap and the interaction of heaven and earth. And in fact, if we, we see the next picture, we see that initially that was the picture we got. Heaven and earth were actually occupying the same space. 
God and Adam and Eve walked in the garden together and they were on earth, in heaven, at the same time. And if, excuse me, if, if they hadn't stuffed it right royally, we'd still be there. But what happened was that we've got uh, the man and the woman in the Garden of Eden next, and, and they're quite happy. Uh, no fig leaves, they're not ashamed. And they have an intimate, close relationship, trust and obedience to the Creator, because that's what we're made for. And so in the next slide, we can see how well this goes over. Adam and Eve give God the finger. <laughs> and... Uh, so a terrible state of event. The whole thing falls apart because, because Adam and Eve decided we're not going to do it God's way. We're going to do it our way. And they give him the... And uh, I was going to blur it out, but I thought, we're in Australia. You can handle it. <laughs> so the, the terrible thing is that every, everything that we now know hinged on that choice of sin and selfishness. And what's that done is actually brought a separation between the two. So now we have this. This. Next. Right. Um, where we have words for, for where we are. We're living in the world or the present age or the age of sin and death. And we talk about heaven as the kingdom of God, a place of eternal life. And it, it's separated. Now, this separation isn't complete, which we'll see in a minute. But we have different things to describe both of these spaces. And this we can see in our next illustration. We, we talk about God's presence, justice, goodness, beauty, mercy, all of these things are part of heaven. And earth is just this horrible place of sin, injustice, and ugliness. And so God obviously doesn't want to keep these things separate. So he devises a way, uh, and we know about this in the Old Testament, of bringing heaven and earth together. And he uses what in the Old Testament they call the tabernacle or the temple. And so this is a place where heaven and earth can intersect and we can actually get some heaven time uh, in with that. And, but the trouble is that wasn't enough. It wasn't just enough to build a temple. You actually had to clear a space that was sinless. And so in the Old Testament, they did this with animal sacrifice. And so what they did was they, they, they slaughtered a sheep, and uh, all the sin went into the sheep and cleared a spot uh, in, on earth that heaven could enter. So heaven intersects with earth in that place, uh, the sheep gets out, and so you, if you were lucky in the Old Testament, uh, you could, and you were in Jerusalem or near the temple or next to the tabernacle, you could do an animal sacrifice, and you could actually uh, go into the temple where heaven and earth intersected. And uh, th that's that was pretty limiting. You had to be near the temple. Uh, you couldn't set up your own. Um, and, of course, you had to find plenty of sheep. And so this was obviously a, a fairly temporary solution. And this was actually changed uh, when Jesus came to earth. He became the human representation of heaven. And because he was sinless, as we see in the next slide, he could manifest heaven wherever he was. Because he was the son of God, he was without sin. And so it manifested wherever he was and it led to a permanent foothold for the kingdom of heaven on earth. And so we get a permanent overlap wherever Jesus is. And... Uh, but Jesus, who knows Jesus was a revolutionary. He didn't like the status quo. He saw that he'd, he'd made a difference in what was happening in the Old Testament in that he'd given his life, instead of um, killing lots and lots of sheep and goats and doves, he'd given his life for the, the sins of all mankind. 
And so he'd, he'd got this permanent place, but that wasn't enough for him. He decided he'd go out into the sinful world and he would actually bring pockets of heaven into the sinful part of the world, as we'll see in this next illustration. He, he, he just wandered out and did miracles anywhere. Cast out demons, healed people. And guess what? When he rose again, he left the earth full of people who could do exactly the same thing. We know that there was a, a permanent place, but we could wander out into the world, into the sin. We can carry a piece of heaven with us, and we can actually interact with people and bring heaven into their life. So heaven isn't just available to, to Jesus. It's not just available to the followers of Jesus, but we can actually make it available to everyone. So why aren't we having more fun with this? I mean, we could, we could actually fill that orange, purple, pinky bit, whatever color that is, with, with uh, the kingdom of heaven. And guess what? That's what we're called to do. We're called to go out and make disciples of all nations. That's what it looks like. It's taking little bits of heaven. And it's a bit like the ice bucket challenge. We're there to sort of, except a lot more comfortable, I think. Um, we're there to bring heaven into people's lives. So right now we have the power as people who have already passed into eternal life. Remember that? We've actually already, we're on that journey. This is a present reality, eternal life for us. And we have the power to bring heaven to earth through our faith in Jesus Christ. So your resurrection actually begins the moment you repent, the moment you receive the gift of grace and life through Jesus Christ. That's when res resurrection life begins. Physical resurrection will, be, will come at the second coming, but your spiritual and relational resurrections happen right now. So here's the idea. Eternal life, life, resurrection or death and the grave are not future endgame realities. They're not, it's not like a, 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 you know, a surprise at the end. Oh, you're dead. Oh, by the way, here's a trick question. Uh, which way do you want to go? Crucifixion or freedom? <laughs> and if we choose the right one, uh, it's, but it, it's, it's actually set in motion now. Our decisions right now determine our eternal consequences. And so... We can choose our trajectory to set us on a track for eternal life or eternal death. These are actually present realities we can choose and other people can choose. And so, but if we look at the Bible, and I'm skipping huge amounts of material here, but um, I was going to discuss this whole idea of the intermediate state and whether we're conscious with Christ in heaven or whether we're asleep. And uh, the jury's out on that, so pick your, pick your side and argue to your heart's content. Um, but that's only a temporary solution. The, the Bible tells us the, end of the, the story at the end of the Bible ends with God's space coming to our space. And that's the image of Jerusalem, the place where the temple, where God's presence is, coming down to earth. So we've got a, a, a sort of an intersection coming where the city of Jerusalem is coming down from heaven. You notice if you read Revelation, it says it's there in heaven, but it doesn't stay in heaven. It actually comes down to earth. Um, and so the idea is that God is living with humanity, which is directly relevant to our concepts of heaven and hell. In Philippians 3.20, it says, But we are citizens of heaven, where the Lord Jesus Christ lives. And we are eagerly waiting for him to return. 
So it doesn't say we are eagerly waiting to go to him. It says we are eagerly waiting for him to return as our saviour. He will take our weak mortal bodies and change them into glorious bodies like his own using the same power with which he will bring everything under his control. And so the end of the story is the next slide, which, although it's depicted as a city, I'll just take a drink, also you notice has trees in it. The whole idea of the garden is still there. It's a city more like Adelaide than Sydney. Um, (laughs) Possibly. Um, I won't rest my reputation on that. Um, but there's, there's, it's a different picture than we have of heaven. Revelation 21, chapter 2 says, And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven like a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. I heard a loud, loud shout from the throne saying, Look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. He will wipe up every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. And the one sitting on the throne said, Look, I am making everything new. And then he said to me, Write this down for what I tell you is trustworthy and true. And if we look in Revelation 22 verse 1, it says, The angel showed me a river with the water of life clear as crystal flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. It flowed down the centre of the main street. Perhaps it's Townsville. On each side of the river grew a tree of life bearing 12 crops of fruit with a fresh crop each month. The leaves were used for medicine to heal the nations. No longer will there be a curse upon anything for the throne of God and the Lamb will be there and his servants will worship him and they will see his face and his name will be written on their foreheads and there will be no night there No need for lamps or sun, for the Lord God will shine on them, and they will reign forever and ever. Now, forever and ever sounds a bit like, to me, forever and ever, (laughs) which is what time we're spending in heaven. And so this is a picture of heaven, and the end, the last book of the Bible is actually a reflection of the first book of the Bible, where in Genesis, we were evicted from the garden. In Revelation, the garden and the city associated with it comes back to earth and earth and heaven are actually reunited once again. And that is how we interact with heaven. We, have, we will have then a new heavens and a new earth. But that trajectory is actually beginning right now. We can actually choose that. Heaven isn't some place you go. Heaven is some place you carry. And the more of heaven we carry, the closer we are to that end result. And so... We need to clear our minds of the idea that heaven is a spiritual place for us. It's a physical place. And it isn't some place we go. It's actually some place that is coming back to us. Because we have once experienced heaven. And God wants us to experience it again. But he doesn't want us to die, turn to dust and just have it be a spiritual place. There will be... The same thing, it talks uh, in Revelation 2 about the fact that the things that we treasure now in life, arts and, uh, and work, some of us treasure work, um, all of these things will be present in the new heavens and the new earth. So there won't be, if, if you're worried about this lazing around on a cloud business playing the harp or the guitar because you can't play the harp, um, none of this is going to happen. Our, our, our desires, our needs, our, our, our activities will be available for us uh, in heaven 
So that's a great choice to make. Next week, I'll be talking about why people on earth people would make a choice to go to hell and what it actually means to be judged in the final judgment. And so that, that could be a little more somber, I guess. But as I said, I'll leave you with a happy note that most people who go to hell want to go there. Um, and I'll explain that and also address the question, is God in hell? So think about that over the week when you've um, just got a spare moment or two. Um, uh, there are some great reference points. You could read the book of Revelation. That's an easy read. Um, just go with that. Or the book of Genesis, an equally easy uh, topic. And so I encourage you to get into your Bible study and actually look at that because we need, we, our view of heaven actually changes how we view our life. Uh, if we have this pie-in-the-sky when we die idea, um, I think that we, we tend to not take as much responsibility as we should for our current lifestyle. Uh, but if we understand that the, the, the amount of heaven, if you like, that is on, earth, is on earth depends on us. We can actually increase and decrease the amount of heaven people experience based on how committed we are to that picture of bringing heaven into a sinful world. And I believe that's what Jesus has called us to do. So that's what we need to think about. That's what we need to be concerned about. You know, the, we, some people have this belief that that transition for a, from the living dead to eternal life, you know, from zombie to real human, uh, is a one-way street. That once you've made that decision, you can't go back. I don't believe that this vision of heaven is like that. We actually need to maintain uh, that, that purity of spirit, that, that grace that God gives us to actually move forward. I mean, the grace of God is a wonderful thing. Who, who believes that? But it's interesting. The grace of God is not something God has given us to get out of jail when we sin. It's not a get out of jail free card so that we can say, oh, I stuffed up again, but by God's grace, I'm, I'm saved. And oops, I stuffed up again, God, by God's grace, I'm saved. That, that's part of it. But the actual power of grace is that the grace of God is given to us so that we have the strength not to sin. And so if we really apprehend the grace of God, it, it is actually the strength that we get from God that enables us to say no to sin, no to doubt, no to the temptations that follow us throughout life, no to the things that take heaven away from us. And I believe it's the grace of God that keeps us on that path of eternal life. But we actually have to appropriate it and use it, and not as a crutch, but as armour, as a weapon against the world. Because there are times we fail. Grace is there for our failures. But it's not there so we can make failure a habit. Grace is there so that we can make victory a habit and do it that way. Can I ask you just to stand with me, please? Heaven and earth are pretty much as serious as heaven and hell. I want to make sure that as much of earth gets contact with the kingdom of heaven as I can. And it's great, that I think, that God has given us a mandate to do that. But he, he, God's army is an army of volunteers. It's very hard to get conscripted into the army of God. There are some uh, parts of the Christian faith who believe that you sort of inherit it from your parents, that you can, uh, you know, you can be born into a religious faith and because your parents were that, that you're covered, you're in. 
there are others who be that believe that uh, it's really hard to actually get into God's army. You've actually got to work like stink. You've got to do all the right things, dot all the I's, cross all the T's, and do all of that sort of stuff just to get God to look at you. And if he doesn't think you're good enough, then you, know, you might have to wait a while before, you know, just keep doing the good things. And every time you stuff up is a step backwards. And there's all of these ideas that we have as part of our faith as to how we can get into God's good graces. The, the simple answer is we can't. But by grace, God sent his son Jesus as a sacrifice for us so that we could say, Lord, I want to be in, in heaven. I want to be part of your plan of eternal life. And he looks at us and because of Jesus' sacrifice, he looks and says, you are a sinless person. Welcome. If you want to come into my family, you are always welcome. Because he sees us through the eyes of Jesus as sinless. So we actually have to volunteer to be in God's family. We have to put up our hand and say, okay, I want to be part of bringing the kingdom of heaven to earth. I want to be part of spreading that kingdom throughout the earth. And God says, great. All you have to do is believe in the sacrifice of my son Jesus Christ, accept him as your Lord and Savior, and you are on, the, on a journey to actually be a heaven spreader, if that's, I'm not sure that's a strictly theological term. Um, so, if we're going to get involved with this, we, we need to volunteer. And it's, it's not a password moment. I talked about that the other week. It's not like once we've said a prayer, that unlocks the key to actually getting in good with God. Saying a prayer is like an induction. It says, okay, I'm, I'm turning around, I'm taking on a new life, and I'm making a start. But once we've made that start, we actually have to make a commitment to follow through on that. So saying a prayer, asking Jesus into your heart, Becoming a Christian is actually only the first step on a journey. But it's the best step to make. It's the first step. It's the important step. So I'm going to give you an opportunity here this morning. If you've never made that step, or you've made it once before, but you know you've taken two steps backwards instead of two steps forwards, and your, your commitment to Jesus is, is not where you know it should be, we're going to say a prayer together to invite Jesus into or back into your heart so that we can actually start on that journey. And if you're doing this for the first time or you're doing it perhaps uh, for, for the second time because you know that you need to come back to Jesus, I'd love you, once we've said this prayer after the service, there'll be a couple of people down here uh, to pray for people. If you would approach them and say, look, I did put my hand up for the first time and accepted Jesus, or I, I accepted Jesus and I want to come back into, into relationship with him, uh, they will tell you what the next steps are to do to actually continue on that journey. So will you do that for me? Awesome. Let's close our eyes. Repeat after me. Mighty God, I stand here ready to change my life. I hereby repent of my old ways and pledge to take on a new life with Jesus Christ as my Lord and Saviour. I thank you, Jesus, for saving me. I am now a child of God, and I will follow you for the rest of my days. Amen.